Well, I want to finish my quarter to twelve, so yeah, okay. In a way, uh, okay, so we haven't mentioned what the marginal productivity of the social circulating capital is. The next thing I want to introduce that, that concept. First, I want to tell you that each and every item on the shelf of the shopkeeper has its own productivity. Some sell fast, some sell somewhat more slowly. Of course, if it sells very, very slowly, it won't be displayed on the shelf because the <laughs> Uh, shopkeeper won't touch it. It would have to. You would have to go to a specialty shop to buy that. You can buy it in every grocery store. The uh, speed with which the consumer good moves towards the consumer has to have a limit, and it has to be faster than this limit. And therefore, we are trying to zero in on that limit and this is what we are going to call the marginal productivity of social circulating capital. So the starting point is to talk about individual productivity of items on the shelf of the shopkeeper. There may be detergent there, there may be uh, salt, sugar, flour, what have you. Uh, uh, and they are all uh, having a specific productivity. Now how to uh, formalize that concept? Well it's not difficult at all because each item has a markup, a retail markup. The retail uh, merchant buys it from the wholesale merchant at a certain price and he puts a sticker on which includes a markup. Okay? And the difference is this markup is an important part of the... But that's not all because it also depends on the side of the consumer just how badly he or she wants that consumer good. And therefore you measure the time which it takes for that particular item to uh, spend on the shelf before the consumer removes it. Actually, uh, Mises comes pretty close to this because I use the example what Mises uses and he, Mises talks about a bottle of sauerkraut. Well, of course, in Austria and in Germany, sauerkraut is very, very important. In North America, it's not so important. But anyhow, uh, in, uh, in recognition of Mises, I, I like to keep that example. So let's take the example of a bottle of sauerkraut which is sitting on the shelf of the retail uh, merchant, the shopkeeper, 
and uh, it stays there for a certain length of time. And what I'm suggesting is that the markup is not everything. You've got to divide the retail markup by the length of the sojourn of the bottle of sauerkraut on the shelf. And then you've got something which describes the productivity of sauerkraut pretty well. So it's the markup divided by the length of the sojourn on the shelf. And every item displayed by the shopkeeper will have a productivity. So you can rank all the items in the social circulating capital according to marketability. Okay? According to productivity. Productivity in a special sense, namely uh, the uh, you see it, it competes really with money because if you happen to have a very good location for your shop then things will move very fast so you make much more profit if you buy sauerkraut and put it on the shelves because it, people will take it as hot cake okay uh, now, the alternative is that you can invest your money in the bill market or bond market or wherever else, and then you get an yield, an income. So you are comparing the productivity of sauerkraut with the yield you could get from investment in the financial markets. So this, we are trying to catch this meeting point in the idea of marginal poverty. So what I will need is, I will first of all need the concept of marginal shopkeepers, and secondly I will need the idea of the marginal productivity of whatever item. Okay, now it's easy to define who the marginal shopkeeper is. You take all the shopkeepers, line them up according to productivity and as I already hinted uh, at this idea that some of them has, have prime location maybe a big uh, airport or a big uh, railway station or something like that where there is always turnover of people uh, day and night and uh, people, uh, especially those who are traveling, are buying and so on and so forth. Merchandise moves very fast. So the productivity of this particular shopkeeper will be very, very high. And then you can take the other extreme where the shop is not in a good location but uh, it still survives and so on. Uh, items on the shelf move very slowly but it's a break even for, it's a, in English uh, literature they refer to pop and mom 
shops. Is that sound, does that sound familiar? Pop and mom shop? Is the corner grocery store not a very busy point? But there's a clientele, the people live in the neighborhood, they don't go further. They might get cheaper prices if they go further away, but they are faithful to their pop and mom store and buy the candy and buy the sugar and so on. So uh, that's at the other extreme, okay? There are the high uh, volume, high speed, retail outlet and the, the, this. Now, the marginal shopkeeper is the one who will be first to close the store when it's, uh, people are moving away, his old customers go, moving to another neighborhood and uh, he's uh, uh, struggling and he decides that he would be better off if he sold out his uh, inventory close the shop, then he doesn't have to pay rent and so on. And then he can uh, retire or temporarily retire. In any case, he would invest his proceeds into the bill market and enjoy the higher productivity uh, of the other shopkeeper whose shop is next to the railway station. You see, that's what it amounts to. So, uh, this is now the notion of the marginal shopkeeper. It's not a person, it's a role in a caste, okay? Because it could change. The, somebody who took a term, temporary retirement, a shopkeeper, could come back next uh, year for some reason, he has an idea that uh, he could uh, improve something in the shopping, uh, such as, uh, oh, I, I don't want to spend time figuring out, you can figure out uh, what somebody who <laughs> keeps a retail shop could do to attract more people, uh, introduce the push cart, for instance. I mean, there was a point when there was no such a thing as push cart in a retail store, <laughs> right? Somebody came up with the idea and it caught on, consumers liked it, and they flocked to the small super supermarket which introduced the push cart. Or just the basket, which you carry and... So, anyhow, this is a role we are talking about. Marginal shopkeeper is not a person, it's a role which has to be cast and it could change slowly or could change fast and change without notice who the marginal shopkeeper is. Now, once you know that, okay, here is a marginal shopkeeper, look at his shelf. And the manual shopkeeper will be very conscious that for some reason sauerkraut is not moving fast enough. And he decides that if it moves even more slowly, he is not going to order any more uh, sour bottles of sauerkraut from the manufacturer because it fell below his marginal productivity. And the marginal productivity of the item in the social circle capital 
on the shelf of the marginal shopkeeper is what we call the marginal productivity of social, social circulating capital. It's always one item, but it could change very fast, <coughs> geographically or from person to person. And that's the key concept. The uh, marginal productivity of social circulating capital. And that determines the, uh, the size. Because if all the consumers are eager to buy, then the marginal productivity uh, goes down, which means there'll be more items displayed on the shelf. Things which used to be sub-marginal now all of a sudden become payable and shopkeepers will display them. Let's think of something like that. Could be uh, canned fish. Okay, uh, people at least, <laughs> you see, I spent 40 years in Newfoundland, which is a fishing area in Canada, fishing province. And if you talk to Newfoundlanders, they are very shy admitting that they eat fish. No, we eat meat, we eat <laughs> red meat, poultry, fowl, this and that. Fish? Mm, not really, you know. And they, 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 but they do you see, but they are ashamed of it for some reason. I personally like fish very much and I am not ashamed of it. <laughs> I admit that I like fish and if I go to a restaurant I prefer to order fish because it's very often I'm disappointed when I order meat. It's either too tough or not well prepared, not tasty. But fish uh, as a matter of my own statistics, I am less disappointed if I eat out in a restaurant. It's another story to prepare it. I would prepare fish, no. <laughs> but if I go to a restaurant, I look at the fish menu first. That's my preference. Now, right now, I th think fish or canned fish has a kind of low priority on the shopping list of the housewife. Uh, uh, this may or may not be true, but let's accept for the sake of argument it is true, you see. And uh, all of a sudden the uh, retail merchant notices that there's a change. The housewives buys more canned fish. You see? Now, up to now, he offered a very, very narrow selection. But when the retail merchant notices that the housewife now uh, wants to take more canned fish home, then he, he will try to display a greater variety of canned fish on his so what does that mean? It means that certain sub-marginal items now became uh, 
staple items on the shelf. They cross that line, the marginal part of it. So the social circulating capital has been enlarged by including a greater variety of canned fish, but also other things, you see. The consumer is in a buying mood and in response the social circulating capital grew bigger. The marginal shopkeeper displays more variety of items on his shelves, you see. This is what. Now, the converse. When the consumer retrenches, this could be because growing unemployment, could be simply because change of taste or something else. But when it happens, when the consumer retrenches, then a lot of marginal items on the shelf of the marginal shopkeeper will be removed, will be eliminated. He will not reorder it. And as a result, social circulating capital shrinks in response to the variable consumer demand. So that's a basic feature of the retail trade and I don't think this is subject to dispute because it's, it's a common experience. Uh, even if you have never been at the retail shop selling goods, but it doesn't take a flight of imagination to see that they just have to adjust to the consumer demand to be successful. Now, I come to a very key point here that this whole process of changing the size of social circulating capital in response to the changing consumer demand can be described as arbitrage. Now this may be uh, a new idea to you which doesn't immediately Catches, uh, doesn't immediately catch on, but you can see this, that the marginal shopkeeper, if there is a contraction in the social circulating capital, will have a pile of cash. Because he doesn't order as many different goods as previously. So he's not going to sit on that pile of cash, not at all. He's going to go into the bill market and buy the bill drawn on those colleagues of his, on those uh, retail merchants who are working with a higher productivity. For instance, the fellow who has a stand at the railway station or near the railway station. He has a higher productivity and he is still drawing bills, or better saying, bills are being drawn on him. Mm. 
and that bills is in those bills are in circulation. So the marginal shopkeeper who has now a pile of cash because he has removed a lot of items from his shelves now has this money and he's going to go to the bill market and buy the maturing bills of those shopkeepers which are producing with a higher productivity. So you see the arbitrage is between the bill market on the one hand and the social circulating capital on the other. When the social circulating capital shrinks, the bill market will expand and conversely. And there is a flow of money back and forth. All this is reflecting the mood of the consumer. Because the consumer is the boss. The consumer is the king or the queen, <laughs> okay? Because it, it all boils down to how willing the consumer is to spend, you know. And, and, and the, all the rest are just servants to the consumer. The consumer is the ultimate authority. You cannot appeal. If you don't like what the consumer does, you cannot go to the government or the court uh, and, and complain. Because the consumer is a law unto himself or unto herself. And there is no room for criticism. You just have to obey unconditionally the wishes of the consumer. So there it is. This is the theory of retail trade. In effect, it's an arbitrage, arbitrage between a social circling capital and the bill market. And if you ignore that, as Mises did, then sooner or later it will come out that your theory is limping. It's not describing reality as it is. And again, I feel that I'm in minority of one, with my, although it's not true because, uh, of course, Adam Smith was the pioneer of this, but his terminology was very different, but the idea was the same. And, uh, and uh, what I'm trying to do is just use the concept of arbitrage, use the concept of uh, marketability, productivity, and so on, to describe the big picture a little bit more accurately than Adam Smith did. I'm not criticizing Adam Smith. Of course, each uh, generation has its own level, own type of language. And uh, there's no point criticizing that uh, a thousand years ago they didn't have a word uh, for computer or software or something like this. It would be stupid. But they could still express what they wanted to express. And if you want to understand, you've got to study. And re sometimes reinterpret it, as I'm trying to reinterpret the um, Real Bill's doctrine of Adam Smith. So this is this is uh, using arbitrage 
to describe that uh, change, expansion, contraction of social certain capital and the corresponding contraction, expansion of the bill market is very important. There is an arbitrage going on. Now I come to what I call, please write it down, the law of retail trade. And this is simply an equation, so write on equation. Uh, marginal uh, use abbreviation M S uh, like M P S C C. That means marginal productive to social circuit and capital is equal to discount rate. As simple as possible, but it really covers a huge ground. Thank you very much. If the discount rate happens to be higher than the marginal productivity of social circulating capital, who is the first to respond to that? Discount uh, the marginal shopkeeper. That's right. What will he do? Contract the uh, volume of retail goods on his... No, he will contract. He will eliminate items on the shelf yeah. and put the money in the bill market. In the bill market, which will result in a change in the... Well, both. Um, in the discount yeah. rate. Which means that the discount rate will be... Brought down. If you buy bills, what will happen to the bill price? Uh, it will go up. Go up. So it should which go means down. the discount rate goes down. Goes down. Mm. You see, and conversely, go through the opposite. That <coughs> the discount rate to begin with is lower. Oh, oh, and how long will this procedure go on until? It's brought back. They become equal. Yeah. Okay. Now, start from the other situation when the discount rate to begin with is lower than the marginal productivity of, of social circulating capital. What? Who is the pers first person to react to this? Again, the shopkeeper. Shopkeeper. Finance the volume of goods. Well, on that's his right. He can finance the larger inventory, which he carries on his shelves, <coughs> because the discount rate is lower, and therefore he will pull a lot of sub-marginal items and investigate how his customers will like. It if he displays it, and he will pick one, and that's the marginal, as that's the uh, marginal item, which he is going to display. Up to now, it was sub-marginal. Now it's marginal, and as a result, the social circulating capital is increasing. But at the same time, since he had to finance this using. Uh, bills what happened he would be 
selling bills mm -hmm. and therefore increasing the rate of discounts increasing and how far will that process continue until you have equality, equality so you see we have just justified the law of retail trade these two things are not really different as um, <coughs> somebody who is uh, uninitiated would, would assume but they are the same because if they are not the same there will be an immediate adjustment put into effect with the result that the two are equal so this is Uh, what uh, what uh, we call here at the new uh, Austrian School of Economics the law of uh, retail trade. Now I'm going to finish with a few remarks. If you look at this, what we've been talking about, and ask the question, where do the funds come from, which make up the bill market and the uh, funds financing the movement of social circulating capital? Is it savings? Is it because people save? And the answer should be no. This is, this has to do not with saving but with consumption. And I made two exceptions in my whole life in uh, borrowing <laughs> phrases from Keynes. Uh, here I borrow the uh, phrase which Keynes invented and used first, which is the uh, propensity to consume. consume, as opposed to the other phrase which I borrowed from Keynes, the propensity to save. You see, these are the two. I am not making any more exceptions, but these two <laughs> phrases I found so felicitous that I couldn't resist the temptation. I couldn't invent a better phrase than that. So you see, the funds to the bill market and to finance social circulating capital come from the consumer and the consumer makes his or her wishes clear through the propensity to consume. Shows up as the discounter. And the saver, on the other hand, goes to the bond market. And the bond market is a reflection of the propensity to save. Of that desire, propensity to save is the rate of interest. And you see, they are very different. And they should, one should not confuse the two. 
they are very, very different. And if you want a valid theory, a theory which works and helps you to uh, make predictions, or see, understand past events, then you have to make that distinction. Now, I uh, uh, close with the remark that there were early economists going to times well before any of the big names in the history of economics. And these were nameless monks, in fact, uh, churchmen, and they were called scholastic fathers. We are talking about the late Middle Ages and the very early Renaissance, say 14th, 15th century, turn of 14th, 15th century. And they were called, the scholastic fathers were also known as the schoolmen. And uh, there were, they were the pioneers who first warned, even long before Reformation, the church that the, the uh, doctrine on usury is far too rigid. And it doesn't make the distinction which is necessary to explain economics. And I think it was the Council of Constance, 14-something, I, I don't have the date, don't carry the date in my head, but the, the issue was discussed at this council, and the scholastic fathers succeeded in <coughs> in moving the council in that direction, that they should relax usury laws and they should admit that bills of exchange financing the movement of consumer goods involves no usury whatsoever. They should be completely exempted. And they succeeded, which shows that the church is not as dogmatic and as narrow-minded as it sometimes represented. And the matter rested there, except for some old-fashioned conservatives inside the church who started a, a, a counter-trend. And they said, no, 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 we have to go back to Aristotle, we have to go back to St. Thomas of Aquinas, and so on and so forth. And in about 10 years, they were almost back at square one. And the scholastic fathers went back to Rome and talked to the Pope directly. And I think the name of the Pope was Pope Martin V, but uh, my memory is not very sharp on that. Uh, it just... Uh, seems to me that, that he was the Pope then. Uh, you can look it up if you're interested in the Wikipedia or elsewhere. And the scholastic fathers presented their case to the Pope. And the Pope 
confirmed the decision taken at the Council of Constance. So that remained the position of the church, but it still took several hundred years and still took a reformation and all the religious wars following the Reformation, including the 30-year war, 100-year war, and so on, uh, very unfortunate because the decision was already made and it was on the books. And the Pope uh, reconfirmed it after <coughs> the conservatives attacked it. And this could have been avoided. Now, <coughs> the question is this. Can we afford, we, children of the 21st century, can we afford to be more backward than the scholastic fathers were, the early pioneers of economics? That's my finishing sentence. <laughs> Thanks very much, Professor. Thank you. Shall we uh, question? No. Okay. Uh, let's have a break. We'll have a break and then move on to Professor Rayo's. Oh, if there are some quick questions, yes. Okay. Quick questions. Diego? Oh, I'm Professor. Okay. Diego? Uh, I, just a quick question. Um, it seems to me that the argument is that the bill market grows when consumption decreases. No. no. Because the bill market grows when consumption decreases in social circulating capital. So the argument, but, but the marginal shopkeeper will go into the bill market when consumption decreases. So doesn't that mean an increase in the circulation of bills? So, uh, okay, first, what is the first observation? What, what is happening? Yeah, so a marginal propensity, uh, I mean, uh, the marginal productivity of the social circulating capital drops, right? So drops? He, yes. Okay. So the marginal shopkeeper removes goods from his shelves. He uh, orders fewer goods, so there's fewer, yeah. uh, he has fewer bill markets. And the savings it takes to? And that, uh, he goes into the bill market and buys bills. Bills which increases the bill market. Which increases the bill market. Hmm? That's my argument, that it increases the bill market. Yeah, just a minute. I'm sorry. It, yeah. it, it's a discount, but not the volume of bills. The volume of bills are directly related to the amount of buying. So it's the discount rate that we're talking about being uh, affected by this buying and selling. The crucial thing is what is happening to the discount rate. I mean, you could argue about the size of the bill market, but that's not the crucial thing. The crucial thing is what happens to the discount rate when the consumer retrenches. Yeah. That's the crucial question. That's what you should uh, concentrate on. And what's the answer? If the consumer retrenches, social circulating capital shrinks, then the discount rate... Higher. Right. Yeah, moves up. Yeah. And conversely, now that is what you should try to understand. I'm not saying this is immediately obvious. You've got to mull over in your head. 
but that's the way it is. If you f feel like, please write it down. Shrinking social circle and capital implies rising discount rate. And expanding social circle and capital, which also means the uh, propensity to consume is increasing, decreasing. It's just worth remembering that this isn't a, a supply-demand equilibrium. No, no. You get, you get to this formula from looking at yeah, the distortion from above and the distortion from below. Okay, so, and Professor went through both examples. And, and uh, supply-demand equilibrium <laughs> is as far removed from this as is No, but people might assume that this is always the case, but the point is that it's, it's a, it happened. This is the consequence yes. of arbitrage, you know, that this happens. This isn't always identically true. You know, there's a process that gets to this equality, basically. <laughs> and it's also worth remembering that uh, productivity of the, the good, okay, you can make your good more productive, not by selling it for a higher markup, just by selling it more frequently. Okay, so space and time. You can sell the same good more frequently and its productivity goes up, but you haven't actually increased the markup. Oh, but or the initiative comes from the consumer. The initiative comes from the consumer, so nothing would have changed in the shop, but they, they want it more frequently for some subjective uh, it's reason. It's another thing that you put up, decoration in the shop to make the consumer feel more at home and they would prefer this shop to that one because it's better lighting and uh, maybe pleasant music and all that. That's a different thing. But the, <coughs> the point is, what is the consumer doing? Is the consumer increasing its consumption or decreasing? And that will show up in the... Excellent. So we'll be back at 12 o'clock for Professor... Oh, Sharp, please. Okay, 12. Okay. Uh, which is almost 15 minutes. In 15 minutes time. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank you.